Hi listeners, welcome to the H&H Hour. We're so glad that you've joined us today. My name is Heather Taves and I am sitting alongside my sister and my best friend and my co-host Heidi Bolt and her daughter Collins. Hello girls. Hi, how are you? Great. Collins is just up from a nap so we're in snuggle mode and multitasking. Yes, ordinary life. Ordinary life. The point of this podcast is that ordinary is extraordinary and that is our lives. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If anyone looks in from the outside and doesn't have (laughs) actually um, an inner circle view of our lives, Mm -hmm. you might think that our lives are glamorous or extraordinary or that we have, you know, really successful careers in Mm -hmm. podcasting and in all of the things that we do. But the reality is, Heidi, is that they are very ordinary lives. We have very full schedules with our families and our kids Mm -hmm. and laundry and dirty baseboards and all of the things. (laughs) All of the things. Heather, that is so true. I also think it's important to point out that no matter how ordinary our life is, the way you view it is what makes it extraordinary. Yes. So someone was talking recently about um, the possibility of feeling like you're on an island, that you're isolated. Mm. And Kip and I were discussing that that thought process and how it couldn't be further from the truth mm-hmm. of our lives yeah. because we were talking about the number of people that God has surrounded us with mm-hmm. that are the most incredible people, have strong marriages, have clear eyes towards Jesus, mm-hmm. have this great heartbeat for the church of Jesus and for connection and relationship. And we Mm -hmm. were just talking about how grateful we are for that. Yes. That in the midst of this very ordinary life, that God has given us the most extraordinary people around us. And we're so thankful for that. So thankful. So, so thankful for that. So, um, so Heather, we're going to air a guest today. Yes, we are. And unfortunately during this recording, we had some technical Mm -hmm. difficulties. And so the first portion of that recording we've had to cut out Mm -hmm. because it was just too difficult. Yeah. It didn't sound good. No. So tell us a little bit about what what this is going to look like today. Yeah. So it was just really our introduction to the show, which we're going to recap a little bit of that right now. And I want to give our listeners a little heads up. The portions where Heidi and I are speaking, you're going to hear some static. You're going to hear some stuff that normally you wouldn't hear on our show because we're pretty particular about what we put out there. However, that we could not fix because it was in the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody more talented than me may have been able to pull it out, but here's the deal. We do our own editing, and we've come a long way, and so we're just going to go with it. Ordinary but, life. Yes. <laughs> but um, we thought that this message and this guest was so important, and we really wanted to capture an air what share, what she shared. And yeah. so we're going to go ahead and air it. So we just ask that you bear with us through those portions because Heidi and I don't talk too much in the show and you just listen to what our guest is saying. Her story is incredible. So Heidi, our guest today is Victoria Robinson with Save the Storks Mm -hmm. and her story is incredible, her personal story. But the background to this is that several months ago we aired a couple who shared their story Mm -hmm. about choosing to have an abortion, mm-hmm. Thomas and Katie Simbersky. Right. And in that podcast, they were so brave and they were they shared with such vulnerability their yeah. hearts and what they'd walked through in their healing process. And Thomas mentioned this organization, Save the Storks. Mm-hmm. And when we aired that show, our brother had listened to it on his way to work, and he said, you're never going to believe this. He texted us. He said, I'm having lunch with the founder of Save the Storks today, mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell him 
about your podcast. Yeah. And so then Save the Storks reached out to us mm-hmm. and offered to come and share about their organization. Yeah. And that's the, the show that we're going to be airing today. Yeah. It was just so cool, Heather, because actually when we um, released Thomas and Katie's show, it was not scheduled to drop that day. No. But we just really felt like the Holy Spirit put it on our heart, like we needed, we needed to bump the show for that day mm-hmm. and drop it that mm-hmm. day. Yeah. And so you worked really hard to get the editing done in mm-hmm. time and we dropped the show and that's Than was able to hear that show that morning mm-hmm. on his way to work on the day he was going to be meeting with um, one of the Save the Storks representatives. Yes. And so just to see God work, you know, we've said this a million times on the show, but mm-hmm. God is in the details. And so that's why we chose to air this episode as well, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't really up to our standard mm-hmm. um, sound wise. Mm-hmm. But we went, we think there's maybe one person that has to hear the messaging that Victoria spoke in this message. And so that's why we're putting this out there and we're going to go with it because we just feel like the timing is really important. Like this still needs to go out. This still needs to be a part of it. Um, And so I just believe maybe if you're a listener and you've got a friend that you know needs to hear this message, please be bold enough to pass this message on to them Mm -hmm. so that, you know, you never know how this is going to impact them or a pregnancy that they have, or maybe, um, one of their children who's pregnant, whatever that looks like. So please have the boldness to share this show if you feel like it could impact somebody. So thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging with us. And we would like to welcome Victoria Robinson with Save the Storks to the H&H Hour. I am the Director of External Relations for the awesome ministry you've been talking about called Save the Storks. I've been with them for almost a year. I actually met Joe Baker, who is the founder about seven years ago, right when he started the, the ministry at a CareNet conference, because I was an executive director of another pregnancy center um, then. So I was there at the at the conference as a director. We ran into each other, started talking. I loved his vision and mission for what they were planning to do at Save the Storks. We stayed in touch all these years, and the Lord opened the door um, with Storks, shut the door with my previous position as an executive director, and here I am. It's it's awesome that seven years ago, Joe said to me, you're going to work for us one day. And I said, well, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see what God's plans are. And uh, about two years ago, the Lord started preparing my heart that change was coming when I was the executive director in Nashville, Tennessee of two pregnancy centers. And honestly, I didn't believe him and I didn't understand it either, to be honest with you girls. I just thought, why would you be asking me to be prepared to leave? This is what I've done for 20 years. But little did I know, he had a different plan, which was this season was ending and a new season was beginning. So now I've been with Save the Storks ever since. Wow. How did you first get passionate about being in this area of ministry? Well, unfortunately, I became passionate about the pro-life movement um, because of my own experience going through an abortion. Over 30 years ago, I chose abortion. I was a single mom with two little girls, and I was struggling. Their dad had decided he didn't want to be married anymore. He left us in North Carolina and took off as far away as he could to uh, California, actually. And um, I didn't get any support from him financially, emotionally, not in any way. Neither did my daughters. They were very young. My youngest was nine months at the time. So I met a guy at work who um, I fell madly in love with. I was at a very one of the lowest points of my life. My self-esteem had been shot to pieces with my husband leaving and struggling, working 12 to 14 hours a day trying to feed these little girls I had to take care of. So when I found out I was pregnant, um, the 
abortion clinic counselor convinced me that it'd be very selfish of me as a mom to bring another child into the world when I could barely take care of the two I had and convinced me that at six weeks pregnant, there was nothing there anyway. And uh, it was just a clump of cells or a blob of tissue. And they would just remove it like removing a tumor. So I believed it. I went through with the abortion and it changed my life forever. It immediately changed me from the moment I left that clinic. Would you be willing to talk to us about how it changed you? Absolutely. Um, you know, before before I had an abortion, I feel like I was a young woman who had confidence, who um, felt very hopeful of my future. I was the kind of mom that trusted God with my children. And even though I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ at the time, I still had this relationship with God. I, I talked to him every day. It was funny when I was a 10 year old girl, I read the book, Are You There God? It's Me, Margaret. So I started talking to God like that. Hey, are you there God? It's me, Vicki. And um, that was my Christian walk. But I, I just, um, I, I was a girl who I thought had dreams and hopes for the future. And when my husband left, I think that's when I started spiraling out of control because I expected to be married forever. I never wanted to go through a divorce. My parents were divorced. That's the last thing I ever wanted for my own children. So it, I would have to say my self-esteem started um, suffering when he left. And um, some of the abuse that I endured from him before he left, uh, it didn't help either. So after he left and I was alone, like I said, getting involved with a guy and falling in love, he said all the right things. It was easy for me because here I was feeling like nobody wanted me. And um, my husband didn't even care that his little girls were crying to see him and he wouldn't visit them. It was just a really, really hard time for me. But then after the abortion, um, because I'd say before the abortion, I felt like God loves me, but why were these things happening? But I'm going to trust him. After I had the abortion, I felt like I couldn't, I had no right to talk to God. Um, I had no business asking him for anything. I got involved in relationships that were very uh, unhealthy because I thought I deserved them. And I was lucky. I wasn't one of those women who I've met many of them who turned to drugs or alcohol or promiscuity um, I, or, you know, cutting and different, trying to commit suicide. I've met these women and that's what they've tried to do after abortion. My biggest struggle was, was feeling like God could never forgive me and mm -hmm. that I was, was never going to have anything good in my life again. Hmm. So it really drove you to shame and to guilt. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, all the way down to the ground. Yeah. It was, I, and I was afraid if anyone found out, they would reject me. They wouldn't want to be my friend anymore. They would call me a murderer. Um, it was, it was pretty rough. And the, before I went into that abortion clinic, I can remember the voices in my head just um, you know, convincing me I was making the right choice. I kept hearing that woman's voice over, over my, in my mind over and over again, the same one who I met at the abortion clinic who talked to me on the phone to make my initial appointment. I just kept hearing her say, you're, you're selfish. You're, you're, that's not the right choice for your own, the children you already have. And there's not really a baby there. There's nothing there right now. And, and, but then right after the abortion, immediately, I mean, when I got on the elevator from after it was over, the voices were much different. I started hearing, you're a murderer. What kind of mother kills her own child? 
you don't deserve happiness. God will never forgive you, and you're a horrible person. So what caused you to come to a place of healing then? Well, it took a long time. It, it took over, gosh, I'd say about a decade. I was um, going to church at an Assemblies of God church in North Carolina, and there was a woman that worked that that worked at the pregnancy center. She was the director. Well, she was a member of the church that I attended, and I worked in the youth group a lot. So she would come up to me for about three years and try to convince me to come volunteer at the pregnancy center. And I would put her off and put her off, and I kept going home telling God, "Are you just trying to torture me? Why? Why do you want me to go work there? Because you want me to." reminded of what I did and because I knew they were a pro-life ministry and I just didn't understand it and I was still let me clarify I was working now at my church very heavily involved in women's ministry when the, when the women's pastor asked me to join her very unique small team of of prayer intercessors I told her she was crazy that she couldn't have heard God there's no way and she didn't know about my abortion nobody did and she kept saying, Victoria, I'm positive that the Lord wants you on this team. And I'd be like, no, no, I think you've heard it. You've heard wrong. But I, she convinced me to join. And so I'm part of all this in the midst of all this. When we have women's ministry events, women would come and find me, seek me out, and tell me they've had abortions. Oh, wow. and, and then I'd go home and be like, okay, you've got Mary bombarding me with coming to the pregnancy center. You've got these women coming asking me to pray for them. I pray for them. You heal them. I watch their whole countenance change, but yet I'm still suffering from the guilt and shame of my own abortion. What about me? Have you forgotten about me? And one day when I was having a really bad come to Jesus moment myself, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and Mary's face was in my mind. And I felt like he said to me, I've been trying to heal you. And I called Mary the next day and said, I'm ready to start volunteering. I did, and six months into the volunteering pro program, I went to her and said, I need to tell you something. I've had an abortion, and she looked at me and said, Vic, I've already known that. I've been waiting for you to tell me. Wow. And at that moment, I'm like, wait, is it tattooed across my forehead? What do you mean you already knew? How, how did, you know, I was freaking out. She said, I've known, Vic, by your actions and the way that I've just known. The Holy Spirit's revealed it to me. I've just been waiting for you to tell me. Now we're going to get you in post-abortion counseling, and your life is going to be forever altered, and you're not going to walk around living in this guilt and this shame anymore. And that's exactly what I did. I went through post-abortion counseling. It changed my life. Wow. I am so burdened by this thought right now that this is something that the church as a large has missed so much over the last well, you know, whatever, 40, 50 years that this has been at the forefront of our society in that we haven't talked about it. And so there are all the, I mean, I just read the statistic the other day that there have been 60 million abortions since the 70s. I don't know if that's correct or not. That is, that is correct. Okay. Rate, which that's 120 million people when you count the men that are out there walking wounded. So there's and all, yeah. So there's all this shame. And I don't know that the church has really acknowledge or given a voice or notice this is that how no, you would feel absolutely and it's unfortunate because i think that abortion could have been eradicated decades ago if the church had stepped up and done more and if the church had not let women feel like 
there that's the, the sin God will never forgive you for and it, and also if the church would step up and say to that girl that unwed young woman or, or or older woman whatever their age is and say we're here for you what can we do to help you rather than feeling so ashamed because they're 17 or 18 and they had premarital sex and now they're pregnant right and and instead because they know oh my gosh when my church finds out when my parents find out they'll disown me they'll think I'm the most horrible daughter because I had sex and now I'm pregnant. And so, yes, absolutely, I put responsibility on the churches. Even to this day, I'm not seeing them do enough. There are very, very few churches, in my opinion, if you look at the scheme of how many thousands and thousands of churches are across this country that are, there's a pebble of of churches that are getting involved in this issue. I think you're, I, I love that we're having this conversation. I mean, I can remember being a 17 or 18 year old girl and thinking the worst thing that I could possibly do would be to have sex before marriage. Yeah. And, and I was, I grew up in the church and that was the dialogue. And so then, but we all know, you know, sin entered our world at the beginning of the world, Genesis two, you know, the people are human, they're going to make mistakes. And so automatically you have all of these people who are living in the shame because of a mistake they've made, but then they make a choice that drives them even, even further into the shame. And man, Satan's just having a heyday with this. He is because th- think about it, girls, a-, a young woman who's grown up listening to that in her church, her youth groups and throughout church. And, and I'm talking about screaming damnation kind of messages. She's thinking if, if having sex outside of marriage is the worst sin, then ab- abortion is not as bad. Right. Um, so, you know, because if they find out about the having sex outside of marriage, I'm not married, that's going to be worse for me. So I've got to cover that up by getting rid of the evidence. Until, and then you said the moment you stepped on that elevator, those voices changed. And I'm so, sure those voices were so much worse. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you, it was, I, I, I changed as a mother. It changed my parenting. I, I parented with a lot more freedom before the abortion. After the abortion, I began to be this helicopter smothering my children, the two little girls I already had, because I was a mother. I already had two children. I knew the outcome of a pregnancy. That's why when I said to that woman at the abortion clinic that day, when I finally arrived there and I looked her face to face, the same woman who'd taken my appointment, I said, are you sure what I'm about to do is okay? I have two children already. I know what happens with a pregnancy. She put her hand on mine and said, honey, you're really not that pregnant. You're oh. just, there is nothing there. So, you know, she convinced, they, they, at the most vulnerable time in a woman's life, they know in these abortion clinics how to manipulate you yeah. into believing what you're about to do is no big deal, mm-hmm. like getting a tooth pulled. So, yes. After I left that abortion clinic, everything about me changed. I was terrified God was going to take one of my children to get back at me for what I'd done. So let me ask you this. Were there other voices on the other side at the same time, or was the only voice that you were, you were hearing the lady from the abortion clinic? The, that was the only, that one and my boyfriend's, because I didn't, I didn't tell anyone in my family. And, the, and what I tell girls now all the time is, if you aren't willing to tell your parents what you're about to do, that's called a clue. Um, so, or, or even your best friend or your sister. I didn't tell them. I just did it. My boyfriend, myself, in the abortion clinic, we were the only ones that knew. How old are your daughters now? My oldest is 36. Uh, my second daughter's 30, uh, 33. The, se- the third daughter, I have two more daughters now. She's 26, and then my youngest is 22. They're all about to turn a year older. How's that dialogue with them? 
I'm sure that it's talked about. You know, it's, it, it is, and that's, that's a story that's, I'll tell you, whenever I felt like the Lord was speaking to my heart to write the book that I wrote, which is called They Lied to Us, I, um, I kept telling him, I can't write this book. You know, I'm in my prayer time saying, why do you keep putting this book on my mind? I, I cannot do this. Then my secret's going to be revealed. My own daughters don't know. And at the time, my two older girls were, um, I think, 12 and 15. Well, the way that the Lord worked it out and they found out was my oldest daughter saw me pull in into, the, um, into our driveway, but I sat in the car for a while. And I was in the car crying because I had just come from a training, volunteer training at the pregnancy center and had just seen the embryonic stages of the baby. So I saw at six weeks that my baby did have a heartbeat. My baby had eye, eye buds and arms and legs that were forming. And I, I mean, I, it took everything for me to hold it together because none of those women in the training knew that I was post-abortive. So when I got home, I pulled in my driveway and I, my daughter comes out about two hours later and she's like, mommy, I saw you pull in. Where, where have you been? What's going on? And I was sobbing in the car. And she said, Mommy, you're scaring me. What is wrong? Did somebody die? And I said, yes, somebody did. And I need to tell you something. And I told her. And that was how the Lord opened that door. And you know what she did? She held me in her arms. And she cried with me. And she said, Mommy, do you think I don't still love you? Do you think God hasn't forgiven you? You're still a good mom. And I just was, it was a, a beautiful moment. And then my second daughter found out um, because her actual biological father, when I was married to him, wanted me to abort her. And the day of her abortion that was scheduled, I couldn't go through with it. So she found a letter about it that I had written to him, how I couldn't believe he, and he, and I told him, you don't know what you're missing, that kind of thing, because he was not in their life. Remember, he left us. And she said, Mommy, why didn't you ever tell me my father wanted you to abort me? And we were in the car driving, and I thought I was going to have an accident. And I said, what, what are you talking about? She said, I found a letter about it, and I've always felt like he never wanted me. And she, he, why haven't you ever told me? And I said, honey, do you, why do you think I would ever want to tell you something like that? Having you was the best decision I ever made. And then I felt that the Lord said, tell her, now's the time. And so I said, but I do need to tell you something. And I told her. And she, did, she, I got the same reaction out of her. She had signs in her bedroom that said abortion is murder because she was very involved in the pro-life marches at the time. And she looked at me and cried and said, I am so sorry you've had to look at those signs in my room every single day as a reminder of your abortion. Please forgive me. And I said, honey, I'm so proud of you. And that those signs just speak the truth. I would have never asked you to take them down. Did you experience freedom? Oh, yeah, I did. Because, you know, of course, in my mind, I was still under this cloud that when my girls are other people finding out and hating me, I'll deal with that. But my daughters, I don't. How am I going to deal with my daughters hating me and rejecting me? And they didn't. They um, they were just there for me and, and reiterating how much they loved me and how, what a good mother I was and that they'd forgiven me. And so had God. So now you're a part of this ministry, this organization, Save the Storks, which is that other voice, right? Yes. So it talk is. to us about Save the Storks' mission and just what an impact it's having in this space. 
Well, what I love about Safe Historics is we are literally revolutionizing the meaning of pro-life. We're working with and supporting pregnancy resource centers with creative solutions to help them be the most top-rate pregnancy centers across the country. And we're able to offer them help to build stork buses, which what the stork buses do is they can park them in whatever, wherever they feel is the best place, which a lot of them are parking them at abortion clinics, Planned Parenthoods as well. And they're just there offering with love, compassion, not judgment, condemnation, not with signs of dead babies, um, not calling women murderers and screaming at them that they're going to hell. They're there just to say, hey, we're here to help you, and we've got other options we can talk to you about, and we would love to offer you a free ultrasound, a free pregnancy test, and some options counseling. So that's how Save the Storks is literally revolutionizing the meaning of pro-life, and I could not be more proud to be a part of their organization. So I read on your website that four out of five women who enter the bus choose life. That is correct. Four out of five. And I can tell you, when I was a pregnancy center director, nine out of ten women chose life after seeing their baby on an ultrasound. Here's what people have got to understand. The reason that abortion clinics don't allow women to see the ultrasound, we've literally had to fight and make laws for them to be required to allow the mother to see the ultrasound. Do you know that? We've had to force them to do it. So there's laws being passed now saying that are in that are trying to be passed as far or in legislation, there are bills trying to be passed to tell them you must now require the woman to see the ultrasound before she has the abortion. The reason they don't let them see the ultrasound is because it's hard to deny a heartbeat. It's hard to deny a baby moving around, arms and legs. It, it's, it, when you see that, you realize that doesn't look like a blob of tissue to me. That actually looks like a baby. Yeah. I have been in the room with women who are adamant about having abortions, ladies. Adamant. They even have their appointment. They just come to get their free ultrasound so they don't have to pay Planned Parenthood the $400 for the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. They come to us to determine so they can take the pictures because you may or may not know this or some of your listeners may not. The, the abortion cost is determined by the size of the baby. So that's why you have to have an ultrasound before the abortion because basically how big the skull is determines what kind of medical instruments they're going to use to abort the child. So so let, these women have, would come to pregnancy centers. They'd come on the stork bus. They're walking in to have an abortion in the Planned Parenthood. They come on the bus. They're saying, okay, well, give me my free ultrasound, my free pictures. They see the ultrasound and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That And I've been in the room. I can't tell you how many times where they're looking at me. We don't make them look, but we don't hide it either. They have the right to know the truth. And when they look and say, wait, what is that blinking in the middle? That's your baby's heartbeat. Are those arms? Yes, ma'am, those are your baby's arms. That changes the ballgame. That's why an abortion, uh, to me, I believe that there's in this generation of young people and even some, and, and maybe those that are a little younger than me, I believe this generation is going to look back on all these decades of Roe, since Roe v. Wade, and they're going to look at our generation and say, how did you let this happen? You had the ultrasound. You had the scientific evidence. You had the medical evidence that we are a unique human being at conception, but yet you guys let them slaughter 3,000 babies a day? 
I think they'll look at us the way we look at the Nazis, and we wonder, how did this happen? But we have to look at the culture we're in today and how did we get here. Yes. It's not, it didn't happen overnight. Um, I mean, we are living right now in a culture of pro-death. They can call it and spin it any way they want. But when you're killing babies up to 40 weeks and killing them if they survive an abortion after the abortion, I'm talking we're living in some scary, evil, wicked times right now. Yeah, and we have to stand up. We have to stand up for this. It's time that our silence is, um, we're complicit if we're silent, Mm -hmm. I believe. We are, and we're basically picking one side. I truly believe that God is saying now, at such a time as this, pick a side. You don't get to be in the middle anymore. Yeah. You're on one side or the other. I think with uh, when one happened in January happened, I was in Maui waiting for the birth of my um, fifth grandchild, and I was there with my daughter looking at her, nine months pregnant. That bill passed. I was just on my knees, and I looked at my daughter and thought, my daughter could walk in an abortion clinic and, and kill my granddaughter yeah. right now today. And I just, I was flabber. I just couldn't believe it. And, but then here's what I see that has happened after I went through the mourning period, throwing things, angry, couldn't believe where we are. I thought about it. And what I have seen happen, ladies, over the last couple months is now everyone is talking about this issue. Mm-hmm. It's gotten more attention than ever. And my pro-choice friends have even said to me, not all of them, but several. Victoria, that's crossing the line for me. Some have even said, I'm considering changing my political affiliation because of what's happening with in, in my party. I cannot believe this is happening. Now, I know this, you may not, but abortions have been going on up to 40 weeks since Roe v. Wade. They've been killing babies that were born from botched abortions since Roe v. Wade. Now we're just making sure we put laws in place so these, these abortionists don't get in trouble for it if they get caught. Because some states have a certain laws in place, like 24 weeks, 18 weeks, 26 weeks, whatever. Even though the, the way that Roe v. Wade is written, you can have abortions at any time. States were, have, have mandated the, the times. But there are states in this country that do abortions and have been before January up to 40 weeks and after. You know, I wonder if I actually heard Lisa Bevere talking about this. Um, you know, the disservice that we've done in the pro-life movement is that we've just thought about the babies. And if we're going to be pro-life, we have to be pro-everyone's life. So we have to be pro-mother's life too, pro-father's life, and that we have to be offering resources and counseling and compassion and no judgment and no shame on their lives as well. And I I thought that was such a great perspective because that's where we've been missing it. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I say it all the time. Abortion doesn't just have one victim. Yeah. It has three. Right. It, it's a mother and a father. And let's not forget about the men. I mean, they are suffering. I think they're just so silent, more silent than women because they're so afraid because everyone's blamed it on them. When I called uh, my the father of my aborted child to tell him about my book. I felt like he needed to know. We ran in the same circle of friends. I changed his name, but I just thought he should know about it. We had not spoken since we broke up, which by the way, nine out of 10 times when a couple does have an abortion, they break up. It's too traumatic of an experience staying together. So some of these women are having abortions to keep their boyfriends or their husbands and they're losing them anyway. Um, And so anyway, when I called him, we hadn't spoken in over 10 years. He recognized my voice immediately, and 
he started to weep and he could barely speak. And when he finally did, he said, I've been waiting for this call for over a decade to beg you for forgiveness, to tell you how sorry I am for what I did. I've been in therapy for eight years now trying to deal with it. I should have protected you and our child and I didn't. Can you forgive me? And in that moment, two things happened. One, I realized I'd been carrying a lot of unforgiveness for this guy, and I really, truly despised him. Because in my mind, it was his fault. It was his fault. At that moment, I forgave him, and it was so freeing for me. But the second thing that happened was it changed my my idea. It shifted my paradigm as to how I viewed the post-abortive man. And it made me realize I cannot just talk about women in this issue. I've got to talk about men, too. Okay, so for those of us that are pro-life, you know, so we're sitting here, we're in full-time ministry. What are the things we can be doing to help the causes that you guys are on the front lines of? I think that, that of course, number one, and people can say, oh, does that really? Yes, it does. We need prayer. There's there's those of us in the pro-life that are right in the front, and we're getting attacked every day. Um, We're... It, it, there's just I, there's story after story after story. So I would say 100% prayer for those that are working in pro-life, but also every day be praying for those girls who are walking in to a pregnant into an abortion center. You maybe could say, Lord, I thank you that today there's a girl that has an appointment. She's walking in. God, drop the scales from her eyes. Show her. Let someone come into her life. Lead her to a pregnancy center. I know someone was praying for me the day that I did not go through with that abortion with my other daughter. I know someone prayed that day because something stopped me from going and I didn't go through with it. So I believe prayer is powerful. Get involved with your local pregnancy centers. Go find they're They're in almost every major city. And you can find them. And if you don't have one, maybe do some research to see if you should help start one. Find local pregnancy centers. Go find um, maybe a home that helps unwed mothers. Get involved with that. Send If you can't put your time in, send your resources. They always need financial help. So I, those are the things I would say. I would just pray and I would um, get the, the second thing would be. Get involved with your local pregnancy centers for sure. Let Get in touch with us at Save the Stores. We'll find some things for you to do. Yeah. And I would add, too, just if you have mm-hmm. someone that comes to you and shares this, don't freak out. Yeah. <laughs> be compassionate. You know, be be the person at Safe Place. You know, we, we got to experience that with our friends. And instead of judgment, they felt love. And, you know, this young man, as you're talking about the men, post-abortive men, this young man is the one who mentioned Save the Storks on our show, and we were so proud of him for being able to admit, like, it was really difficult for me, and I kept it in for a long time, but then I opened up to people I trusted, and those people loved me through it, and now this young couple just has this passion for this area and being able to really impact people that have gone through this or are considering going through this. And, and it's true. Honestly, it, it may sound so simple, but people that have shared with me, and some of them for the first time they've told anyone, I've had three in the last two days who've reached out to me on social media and wanted to talk to me to share with me they've had an abortion in their past. One was a man, two were women. They've never told anyone. But just telling me made them feel so free. And every one of them said the same thing. Thank you for not judging me. Yeah. And that's what people are afraid of. But if we keep this secret... 
to, if Satan's going to use it against us for the rest of our life, keep us held in bondage and keep us feeling like we can't ever do anything good or God could never forgive us or can't love us. And that's a lie. That is a lie. God forgives even abortion and God can use our lives. He can take what the enemy meant for evil. He can turn it into good. I am a witness to what he's done in my own life. So I promise you, if those people that are listening and you're post-abortive, Get in touch with your local pregnancy center. They offer post-abortion counseling. Get in touch with me. I'll find one for you. I'm Victoria at SaveTheStorks.com. We will get you the help you need. If you need to just tell, make that first step to tell somebody that you trust. And I think people will be very pleasantly surprised at their reactions. I can tell you, when my daughters held me and told me how much they loved me and that have not ever judged me, or may, even to this day, and now they're, those two older daughters are 36 and 34. They have always made me feel loved and not ever said, oh, mommy, I can't believe that you had an abortion. They've not ever done that. They've always said, we are so proud of you, mommy, that you're taking your life and turning it into something by saving other babies. And that does, I don't want people to freak out either and think, oh, that means I got to tell everybody and go speak like you do, Victoria. No, you don't. God's called me to do what I'm doing. That's not true. But... It just talking to somebody will bring such relief and freedom to you. And I just don't want to see these 120 million people walking around wounded the rest of their life till the day they die. That is not what God, God wants for them. That's right. And I think, Victoria, I, I just am so loving your passion for this. I think as someone that you could have easily let this completely ruin your life and not ever stepped into God's call for your life, you know, post your abortion. But I think the fact that you are talking out about it so boldly and so candidly is going to give a lot of people a lot of freedom to be able to step into their path of healing. Um, and I think even just the fact I was going to ask you, like, Victoria, how do people get in touch with you if they don't have anyone to tell? And you're giving your email out. So, listeners, I am truly begging of you, if you are in this space of either contemplating an abortion or you are post-abortive and you need someone like Victoria said, please find right here in Peoria, Illinois, mm -hmm. we have crisis pregnancy centers. I know some of the women that serve there and they are phenomenal women of God. They will love you. They will see you. They will hold you the way Victoria's daughters hugged her um, or reach out to Victoria. If you don't want to be in your own city, reach out to Victoria and get the help that you need mm -hmm. because God wants you to have freedom. Yes. If you believe that you deserve to live in the shame that you're feeling, mm -hmm. That is the lie from the enemy, and God wants you to experience hope and freedom and healing from whatever you've walked through. Yeah, that's good. He does. He really does. And I, I tell you, there is the truth really does set you free, and it does. I, I know for a fact these three people that I mentioned are walking around with more freedom, and they're, they, they said, this one particular woman said, I feel like a weight's been lifted just by telling you. Wow. Mm. Wow. And, and I'm telling, you know, and, and people don't understand how much power is in bringing those things in the dark into the light. Yeah. And there is so much power. And I want to see, my passion is, yes, for saving babies. Praise God for the babies that are saved today from abortion because 3,000 a day will lose their life. Mm -hmm. So I'm so grateful. But my belief, my Christian faith tells me my child at that moment of my abortion the, ch the children today that will be aborted, thank God they're immediately with Jesus. That's yes. right. But, but you know what? There are these people, all these millions of parents, 
they're the ones who are left behind to deal with the ramifications of that choice. And I don't want to see them walking around forever with this weight on them. That is not God's plan for your life. God does forgive for abortion. He does. And that that doesn't mean I don't forget about my child. That doesn't mean I don't still grieve. Mm -hmm. I have moments, Heidi and Heather, where I'm in the fetal position crying for my baby. And someone asked me one time, they said, well, don't you think, Victoria, that means you haven't fully healed? I said, really? No, I've, I know I, God has fully healed me, yeah. but I still grieve. Mm-hmm, I still sure. grieve that loss. That child is gone, and there yeah. are things that come up that make that remind me of, of that. And it makes me sad that I have all these daughters that are now having babies and going through weddings, and my that one child didn't get to be part of my family. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't go away. Yeah. But I, I'm... It's just like if you lost a child in a natural way, you're yeah. still going to grieve your child. That was still my baby, and I will grieve that baby until I see that baby. Yeah. So that doesn't mean you're if that happens after post-abortion counseling that, that you haven't been healed. That's another lie from the enemy. Mm-hmm. You're going to always grieve your child, but you can still live a productive, godly life. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's well, incredible. Thank, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story of freedom. It's just... I know it's going to impact a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, ladies, anytime. And thanks for getting the word out and and doing what I pray more and more people do, which is let our voices be heard so that those that are listening who've never told anybody say, I have the courage now to do something about how I'm feeling. So tell us, how many cities right now are being impacted with a Save the Storks bus? Well, we have 48 buses uh, right now that are out there, and we have five in production as we speak. Okay. Our goal is to have one bus a month being built. Wow. So we're exploding, um, and we've just got so many people that are ready to have a bus built. We're helping them raise the funds. We're scholarshipping a lot of these centers. There's so much going on Save the Storks, and we're not just about the buses. We have a lot of other programs as well. We're helping these pregnancy centers, as I said, become centers of excellence. Mm -hmm. They're having to compete, remember, Mm -hmm. with an organization called Planned Parenthood that has multi-million dollar funding from the government that they don't get. So we're just trying to teach them to be the most excellent centers they can be and um, also the director is giving them training. We're loving on them. We do a flyway conference for them. We just had our first one. We're doing another one this year where we bring in, we had a generous donor who paid for all these directors to come in, no cost to them. Mm. We put them up at a beautiful hotel and gave them five days of training and just loved on them. Wow. And they, they just were like, couldn't believe. Because you have to remember, these, some of these centers are just they barely can make ends meet every month. Right. That's why I'm saying get involved in your local center. Send them monthly support. They yeah. need it. Yeah. I love that you're talking about that. I love that partnership. We have a sweet sister-in-law in Houston, Texas, who volunteers every single Thursday at their crisis pregnancy center. And she'll often text me as she's driving in and just say, will you please pray for the, the young women that I'll meet with today? Will you just please pray for them? And her passion for her volunteer hours. I mean, you would think she was being paid top dollar. She's so passionate about it. Um, <laughs> I love that. That's so I awesome. just love, you know, seeing people come alongside. Those of you that are on the front lines, people like my sister-in-law, Jenna, who are, you know, doing the work at the pregnancy centers. And um, I think that's so important. So tell our listeners how um, are your savethestorks.com. Yes, yeah, com. My okay. email is victoria at com, And let me just 
say this when you just said that. I want to I want to put a shout out to all the Pregnancy Resource Center volunteers, board members, and the staff. They are the true heroes. They mm. honestly are. We at Save the Storks love partnering with them because what's the beautiful partnership about it is they're the ones that are running these buses. And when a woman comes on the bus and chooses life, they're able to right then immediately make this connection with her and then say, now we're going to help you with some counseling, um, mm -hmm. financial counseling, parenting classes, get you some maternity clothes, baby diapers when the baby comes, cribs. They're able to do that instead of like we're criticized about, oh, you just want these women to keep their babies and then what are you doing to help them? Well, they can't do that because our partnership with these pregnancy resource centers they're taking these women and they're walking through the next couple, three years of their life yeah. throughout the pregnancy. So they are the true heroes mm. over there. And we at Save the Storks recognize that, and that's why we want to honor them as much as we can. Mm. I love that. My sister-in-law said one day, she said, you know, anybody can help serve the pregnancy center, even if they can't volunteer. Can they drop off a box of diapers once yes. a month? Or can they give a small donation once a month? You know, or even a one-time gift, I think. Everybody can do something, and I think the, the thing about this conversation is it's such a big topic that people feel easily overwhelmed about it, so they do nothing. Exactly, and, and, you're, and that's such a great point. You're right, and just if the masses would do a little bit, it would change this whole movement. Yeah. If I had this program called Project 1000 when I was a director in the last three centers that I, I started, and what I asked was a 1,000 people to give $10 a month. And I can remember people looking at me going, Victoria, $10? How is that going to make a difference? Mm. I said, when a 1,000 of you give us $10 a month, it covers our overhead. Wow. So when the masses do a little bit, and then they that changed their perspective, and it was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't think of that because I feel bad that that's all I can afford to give. No, you put your $10 with 100 other people's, mm. now we're talking $1,000. Yeah. So it makes a difference. So no matter what you can do, do it. That's so beautiful. That is so beautiful. Victoria, well done. Thank you so much for having me, girls, honestly. And anything I can do in the future, you know I'm a phone call away. Okay, I'm sure that we will be in touch down the road for sure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. God bless you guys. You too. Bye-bye. Wow, Heather. What yeah. an impactful conversation. Yeah, it's a hot topic. Yeah. It's a topic that people don't want to talk about yeah. because it makes, you know, a lot of people feel uncomfortable. There's yeah. a lot of people that have shame, and so mm -hmm. they just avoid it. But the church has to talk about it. We as followers of Jesus, we have to not stay silent on this. Not to shame anyone, not to make anyone feel like they are being judged or less than, but to say this is not okay. Mm -hmm. And it is time for the church, the people of God, to rise up yeah. and take a stand. Absolutely. You know, I was so impressed recently by some of the the big name Christians that mm -hmm. have a big following and a, a, a big voice. I think of Esther Houston. Mm -hmm. She's married to Joel Houston, mm -hmm. who's the, the worship leader for Hillsong Church. Mm -hmm. She's very vocal about it, and she has been on her Instagram recently, and she's taken a lot of heat for it, mm -hmm. and she is not backing down. Like, she is fighting with great information, mm -hmm. with a lot of really strong facts and information. She's not just out there uneducated about it. She's really being a voice in a place that those top leaders mm -hmm. need to be a voice in. And, you know, those of us that could easily feel like, well, what is my small voice going to, mm -hmm. who would it impact? Like if it impacts one person, that's right. such a huge, huge impact. And standing outside of an abortion clinic with a sign saying you're a murderer, 
is not helpful. That's sin. Yeah. That's sin. Yeah. Well, Jesus said, if whoever has no sin, cast the first stone. Yes. He also said, give a cup of cold water yes. to someone who needs it in yes. my name. And so someone coming out of that, going into that abortion clinic, if you think your sign is yeah. going to change their mind, you're wrong. Yeah. And secondly, when they come out, they need held yeah. and hugged and yeah. loved and said, it it is okay. You yeah. are not a horrible person. And so it's time that we we shift what being pro-life means. Yeah. Um, and then it means we be pro-everyone's life, mm-hmm. pro-baby, pro-mom, pro-dad, yeah. pro-human that yeah. God created. And I think it's important. I talked recently to a grandma whose grandchild was aborted and she was weeping yes. over the loss. So knowing that it's so impactful for so many people is an important thing to recognize and to to give thought to, right. you know, the amount of people that it does impact and that might need a friend or a, an ear or a counselor yeah. over that conversation. Yeah. So everyone can do something, you yeah. know, right here in our own city, we have a crisis pregnancy center that everyone can be. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't go and serve there, volunteer there physically, but you can give a donation or take some diapers or find out what they need, call yeah. and find out what they need. I would love to see pregnancy centers just flooded with phone calls and just how can we help yes. from the H and H listeners yes. just to say, we heard this, we want to get involved. We don't want to stay silent. Yeah. If you stay silent, you are abating in this. You're, you're an accomplice yeah. in what's going on. So let's use our voices to make a difference. And also if, if you are post-abortive mm-hmm. and you need someone to talk to, reach out to us. Mm-hmm. I know our sweet Friends and our guests who shared initially, Katie and Thomas, they've said the same thing, that they will have conversations with people. So you can reach out to them. We yeah. can put their information in our show notes yeah. again. Um, and Save the Storks is a really incredible ministry. Um, I think that you heard Victoria's passion coming through. And I, I know that they would be a great resource for you as well. So when you bring it to the light, that's you're right. able to, that's when healing begins that's to right. happen. That's right. So thanks for listening. We're glad that you did. We know that this could be a really heavy episode for some of you. Some of you are needing to catch your breath right now. Mm-hmm. But know that this episode is falling on your ears at a really important time for you. And so believe that the Holy Spirit's leading you. Yes. And he has purposed this for a very specific reason. And it's because he loves you. Yes. And he wants you to walk in freedom. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. We will chat.